Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. It's time for Distractions with Chad and Nate. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Now, here's Chad and Nate. Chad, our very own Cecil Lammy has an article up on DenverFan.com right now positing the question, are the Broncos fixing to become a dynasty? Like the TV show where all the like rich housewives fight? Exactly like that. Okay. Oh, yeah. And I just started thinking about dynasties. And when you think of the word dynasty, what comes to your mind? Uh, Boston Celtics. No, no, let's, let's John let's, Wooden. You see, no, I'm, I'm taking it even further back, even further than back. The Ming Dynasty. <laughs> oh, that kind of dynasty. Persian Empire. Okay, Ottoman Roman Empire. Empire. Right? Yeah, Roman. Uh-huh. The Medici. Okay. Okay. Or do you think of something a little closer to home? You know, like the Rockefellers. Ah. Okay. Or the Kennedys. Mm-hmm. The Kardashians. <laughs> True. The Waltons. True. Or do you think of sports in the context of this conversation? And if so, what is the criteria for a sports dynasty? Three titles in five years? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Or is it two titles in four or five? Like, what, what is a dynasty? I think it uh, changes depending upon the sport. Uh, we've seen, you know, great runs in basketball with the Celtics and in, in, in the NBA and UCLA in college basketball and the John Wooden dynasty and John Wooden era. We've seen those kind of things. We've seen, uh, you know, Yankees and go on historic uh, runs for years and years and years and have a decade plus of sustained success. I don't think that's possible in today's NFL. Uh, you know, the closest we would have to that would be the Patriots in recent memory. Uh, but outside of them, I'm not sure there's been a dynastic franchise in the last 25 or 30 years. Uh, the Cowboys had a good run, and they fell off. The 49ers had a good run, and then they kind of fell off. Um, but I, I guess if we're going to put a, a modern term to it and try to give Cecil a little leeway, uh, if you were to win two Super Bowls in a five-year period, in a five-year window, and you made the playoffs all five years, I think that would apply from a modern NFL definition of dynasty. What about the Golden State Warriors? Are they a dynasty? Uh, they had a couple of years off, you know. Uh, Six NBA Finals yeah. in eight years, mm-hmm. four titles. See, I think that I think that still fits. I don't think that's you, a dynasty. I don't think you can you have a reloading, rebuild, or injury plague season in the midst of your dynasty. I think you can, but once the band gets back together, they do what they do, which the Golden State Warriors did last year. So, yes, they are a dynasty. Lakers with Kobe and Shaq. Yep. Three in a row. Mm-hmm. Spurs, 2002 oh, to 2007. Mm-hmm. Alabama football currently. Yep, what, five in the last 10 years? Yep. Mm-hmm. You mentioned UCLA basketball under John Wooden. Steelers of the 70s. Yep. And by the way, Terry Bradshaw, four rings. Never even discussed as one of the all-time greats. No. Is that is that wrong? The guy was calling his own plays. I know. I mean, these quarterbacks don't do that now. So <laughs> should Terry Bradshaw be in, in, in the conversation? As an all-time... I think as an all-time great winner, but I don't think there's a football person who would put him up there as an all-time great quarterback. He clearly had some, judging by the number of Steeler Hall of Famers from those teams, clearly he was surrounded by awesome teammates. 
The 49ers of the 80s are considered a dynasty. Yep. Three championships in, what, five five years. Um, Chicago Bulls of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, did I miss any? No, I think I got them all. Uh, UConn women's basketball. Okay. Under Gino. Gino does a great job. Coach and then there. the Lady Vols as well, Tennessee. Yep. Pat Summit. Uh, but Cecil's article was basically qualifying the possibility of them being a dynasty based on the fact that they are running the business well. And that's what's setting up the possibility of this dynasty. They're making the right business moves. Do you think that, do you think that that's all it takes, really, is to set up things in the right way business-wise and then everything just kind of happens after that? Or does there need to be some more magic? Uh, I think if you are running things correctly up top, that gives you a much greater chance for success. Um, clearly, the, the Walton uh, Pinner group, the ownership group, those folks have done things at a high level uh, for a long period of time and had tremendous success. So I think they know something about that. Um, and from a ownership standpoint, you shouldn't be down picking the players or nor calling the plays, but you find the right people to do that. And if you found the right people to be the executive vice president at Walmart um, and, and all those kinds of things, can you identify the human traits that make people successful, that make them good evaluators of talent, that make them good management managers of people? I think you probably can. And Walmart, probably more than most companies on the planet, has spent more dollars and hours and manpower on people evaluation than I imagine most companies have ever brought in, period. Walmart has spent more money on that because their organization is built upon the management of people and how all that works. So maybe they've got some special insights that other owners just simply don't have. Now, clearly the Pittsburgh Steelers don't have that kind of uh, money in their background or business acumen in their background. They've owned the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's where their billion dollars comes from for the Rooney family. But along the way, they have learned to put their trust in the right people. Chuck Knoll, Bill Coward, now Mike Tomlin. Uh, what, three coaches in the last 50-plus years? They've got something figured out up there. Hopefully, the business thinking that the Walton Pinner Group comes in, to Cecil's point, has enough of that human talent uh, evaluation from their, all their business experience to put the right people in the right places and support them, which then in turn gives your football team the best chance for success. Got some texts coming in, uh, some other teams to add to the to the list of dynasties. Montreal Canadiens. Okay. Someone says the Yankees have been a dynasty since Babe Ruth joined the team. Cameron and Longmont. Um, San Francisco Giants. That's a dynasty. They won three titles in five years, 2010, 2012, 2014. The funny thing about those Giants teams is every odd year, they didn't even make the playoffs. Does that make you a dynasty then? If you win three in five? Okay. Doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, we just think of dynasties as super high, sustained levels of success. And I know I just include the Golden State Warriors despite having a couple of off-seasons in there, but... Yeah, uh, I suppose if we're going to include the Warriors, then the San Francisco Giants need to be included as well. Um, part of this Walton Penner group and the way they're running the business is to move it forward internationally. Uh, Damani Leach, the new president, said as much recently. He said, quote, tastes evolve. The customer evolves. 
Does the football customer actually evolve? Does the taste of the football customer actually evolve? Or do people want to see football the way they fell in love with it? No. Uh, it does evolve. And because the customer is changing, the customer base is changing. There's more women watching football than, than ever. Um, and you think women want to see a different style of football? I think they, they do. Some of the more gratuitous violence doesn't strike them as old school football. It just strikes them as gratuitous violence. Um, is that for us a, a, a spectator sport or for the, what their kids are doing? Because you know, as, as a parent, you don't want to see your kid getting smashed. But the entertainment value of watching a football game, don't you want to see the ultra violence? I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. In my you know youth coaching experiences, I've I talked to so many moms, and they are all for the safety of the kids, better fields, better equipment, better rules, better coaching. They want their boys to play football and, you know, be rough and tumble and, you know, get some of that boy stuff that football brings about. At the same time, they don't want little Timmy to get hurt. They don't want little Timmy to have brain damage later. Um, and they want to see the NFL reflect that about their feelings for youth football as well. Of course, they don't want little Timmy to get hurt. But do they care about big Timothy? I uh, think they do. You think the average fan truly cares about the well-being of an anonymous player with a helmet on who they'll never know. Uh, I can't speak to the... I haven't watched games games of football with the average quote-unquote fan. But I was watching Hard Knocks two nights ago with my wife. And, and what does she think about And she still cringes with every hit. Because it brings back memories of watching you out there getting hit. Right. You know, it was the same as my mom when she used to watch our college football games, she couldn't watch because I was getting teed off on so right. much. So she would have to get up out of the seat and walk around, sometimes go into the car, listen to it on the radio. She couldn't watch that stuff. And then on Hard Knocks, they do the thing where they put the, the camera on the mom or the girlfriend or right. the fiance in the stands. <gasps> yes. Yeah. And so my wife can obviously empathize and brings back you know tons of memories for her. Um, but she loves the fact that I loved football. And she thought, you know, I played well, and she was, you know, proud of what I did out there. But if the game were to be toned down a, a notch or two with the violence, oh, she'd be much better with that. And she could enjoy the football experience even more if she knew that players weren't going to be injured, you know, like her husband was. What would, how would it have worked out for you as a player if the coach was like, man, I need you to get to the quarterback, but tone down the violence a notch or two, Chad? <laughs> I wasn't, I didn't grow up in that era. I wasn't taught to play the game that way. Versus, that's, that's still the most effective way to get to the quarterback, right? Ultra violence? Yeah. 10 you, out of 10? Hit, hit that dude as hard as, you, as hard as you possibly can. Now, of course, don't lay on him because that's a penalty. Don't hurt him. Don't put your but full weight him. on him. Don't, that, that's a penalty. Don't hit him with your helmet. That's a penalty. Don't hit him with, in his helmet. That's a penalty. But outside of that, hit him as hard as you can, please. Hit him as hard as you can. That still is the ethos of the game of football, and I don't know if that'll ever change. There is a Denver Bronco who's been a controversial figure throughout the offseason, but could he be the biggest X factor in week one? We'll ask that question next. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver's Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan.
Well, the Broncos, they got two really good running backs on this team. Javante Williams is everyone's leader in the clubhouse. And Mike Boone? Young Buck. Yeah, Javante and Mike Boone. Oh, okay. Well, maybe there's three then. I thought Mike Boone was really good this preseason, I agree. I agree. I mean, there was an argument to let Melvin walk and having Mike Boone be the the backup. Mm -hmm. But he's a special teams core guy. Yep. You know, and how 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 far do you want to stretch that dude? Because if you really want to split carries with a running back and give, you know, like a 60-40 share or a 65-35 share or a hot hand type of situation, which is looks like what the Broncos are going to do with Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. If you're doing that with Mike Boone and he's also playing, you know, 25 plays a game on special teams. If you're on those big four special teams, kickoff, kickoff return, punt, punt return, that's about 20 to 30 plays per game. Uh, depending on the action, how much scoring there is, how much punting, that kind of thing. But those are long plays. You're running 60, 70 yards, and so those are pretty tiring. Uh, so you want guys fresh for that to the extent that, you know, you limit what they do on offense or defense. But the guy that they are going to end up relying on, perhaps more than we even think, is Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon's been a Bronco for two years. A lot of consternation as to whether or not He's earned his money, if he deserved as much money as he got at the beginning, if he was a locker room distraction. But by all accounts, the coaching staff really loves him. In two years as a Bronco, he's rushed for 1,904 yards and 17 touchdowns. That's pretty darn good for a guy splitting the carries. And you think that Javante Williams is probably going to get that first carry in Seattle. But, Chad, how involved do you think Melvin Gordon's going to be in this game on Monday night? Uh, I think it's going to be significant. I, I think with the difficulties in that will most likely arise in the pass game due to the crowd noise and things like that, the environment. Uh, to be able to hush the crowd, to run the football, rely upon Javante and Melvin, that's going to be critical. Um, so is you know does Melvin have more yards? Uh, I'm not sure if he does, but I, but I think he certainly will be a, a factor in the ball game. Um, I I know everyone's expecting Russ to come out and cook, and I know I'm sure Russ wants to show the folks in Seattle how how well he can cook here in Denver. Uh, yes, so he's got the burners on high, but I think the stat I talked about yesterday is recognized in that Broncos coaching room. 300-yard passer gives you a 60% chance to win. A 100-yard rusher, a 73% chance to win. So just the, the math is clear. The facts are clear. When you run the ball, you run the ball effectively. That's really good for you. And statistically, if you look at some of the more recent articles that have been written by Russell Wilson on The Athletic and on ESPN.com, they dive into a lot of Russ's success when the Seahawks were more a more run-oriented offense. Um, so clearly he has success with that. That's where a lot of those deep balls come from. That's where all those those play-action deep passes come from when the run game is effective. So I don't think Nathaniel Hackett has lost uh, the, the thread on what successful offensive football is, even amongst the noise and the expectations that Russ needs to go out there and cook. So Javante had 203 carries last year for 903 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, Melvin Gordon last year had 203 carries on the nose, the exact same number of carries as Javante for 918 yards and eight touchdowns. So Melvin Gordon obviously has a nose for the end zone. Troy Rank says he doesn't need Siri to find the end zone. 
My question, Chad, if you are the offensive coordinator, Javante gets you down inside the 10-yard line, inside the 5. Are you putting in Melvin Gordon to punch it in because he has a better nose for the end zone? Uh, I think Javante uh, will be given the shot to show he can be effective in goal line and short yardage situations. Is that something you can develop? I think you can. a young player? I think you can. I think there's a certain skill set to it. Uh, Marcus Allen, one of the greatest short yards and goal line backs of all time, and he wasn't some giant thumper. He's going over the top. Yeah, he didn't do it because he was 240 pounds. He just ran through people. There's a certain skill set. Turning your shoulders, reducing your your surface area, diving over the top. There's all those different ways you can do it. I've seen Marcus Allen go below, dive low as well. So there's there's a skill set to it. I think there's an innate skill set to it. But for a guy like Javante Williams, who's proven he can be incredibly good at breaking tackles, uh, can he also prove himself to be an effective short yards goal line guy and just kind of know how to get that extra yard or two? I think that's a skill that can be learned. Talking about that goal line ability to score, who was the best to go ever go over the top? Got to be sweetness, right? Uh, at least, well, for you and I, we grew up with the NFL films right. clips of sweetness going over the top. So. Uh, that is forever etched in my mind as part of the you know the lore and the mythology of Walter Payton, um, him diving over the top. You don't see that play as much anymore. Is it because defenders kind of know how to stop it better now? Like, as a defensive player, would you try to time it up and meet him in the air? Oh, I've done it many times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, okay, so obviously you were doing it back then, so it's not like you know guys didn't know how to stop it back then. So why don't you think you see that move as much anymore from running backs? I think just because uh, it's not taught to, to do that anymore. I think defenses are prepared enough to be able to go over the top. And as a runner, you lose any power you have once you leave the you know, the ground. You know, you're, now it's just literally a, a physics equation. You're jumped this high. You got so much speed going forward. And what is your overall mass? Versus when your feet are in the ground, you can power through somebody. You can use all your strength training and your leverage abilities that you've learned over the years to power through someone. In the air, you're at the whims of of physics, basically. And if a linebacker's 240 pounds and he's jumping in the air and you're a running back who's 205 pounds, your chances are the linebacker is going to win just because it is a physics contest at that point, not a true power contest. Um. So if you were a coach, Chad, yes, you got these two running backs, all right? You want, like you, you just recited that stat about 100-yard rushers and the percentage of time you win. So it, it, it does behoove you to move the ball on the ground. But you got these two running backs. Who, are you, are you giving it to the hot hand? Are you going into the game like, Javante, you're going to be our guy. Melvin, you're going to spell him when he gets tired. But for the most part, you're going to take the lion's share of the carries. How would you divvy it up? I probably would alternate series just to, you know, give it a, a sense of, of, of fairness. And then after that, uh, yeah, if someone's got a particularly hot hand, then you get to roll. And if someone doesn't, then, yeah, this other guy gets more opportunity. Um, it would be on a literally a series-by-series, game-by-game, quarter-by-quarter basis. Um, I know that may be frustrating for those guys in the room. Um, we can walk into the game with a, a general expectation of how playing time is going to be divvied up. But in the end, i got to call it like I see it on the field. Um, I think both of you guys are talented. Both of you guys deserve to play. So we're going to go with uh, the hot hand. But, Javante, you have earned the start for this game. Well, for that to work, the egos have to be in check. Mm -hmm. And and everybody's got to be comfortable with the fact that we're just trying to win this football game, right? And we believe in both of you. That's why you're both on the team. We plan to use both of you as the season goes on in the right moments. 
And one game, it might be you, Melvin. One game, it might be you, Javante. And it seems as if when these guys talk about their roles, that they have put their egos in check. Even though Melvin wants to be the featured back, his relationship with Javante is is one of, of, of being a friend, of being a brother, of being a mentor even. Javante's talked about how much Melvin has helped him off the field navigate the world, the real world, and, and things you got to do out here in the world to make yourself better on the field and take care of business as a professional. All right, War Room giveaway time. You know, tomorrow we got the Fan War Room season preview, preview special live at Brothers Barbecue on I-25 in Arapaho. Zach and Stoke are going to be joined by Orlando, you, Chad, and Noshan. They're going to be there again from noon to 2. So right now, be caller number 4. That's right. Right now, caller number 4, 303-713-1043 to win a $50 gift card to Brothers Barbecue. Mmm, that's a lot of barbecue. Some good burnt ends. We'll see you guys at the War Room tomorrow. And uh, Cecil Lammy, he's going to join us next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Band presents Chad and Nate. We welcome in our very own Cecil Lammy. Cecil, what's going on right now, buddy? Uh, I am so looking forward to week one of the regular season. I can barely contain myself, gentlemen, because it is here. Football is back, and it is glorious. Day, I'm sorry, game one of the new Broncos dynasty. Am I right? Talk a little bit about the article you wrote, um, kind of positing that the Broncos might be on a dynastic path. Yeah, and I said it last night on the drive. Like, I get to watch you guys, right? I get to observe all of our athletes at the fan, all of our athletes that have been successful with their athletic endeavors, obviously have success in business as well. And in watching that and comparing it to what I see in the Walton Penner group, they didn't buy this team just to have another asset in this portfolio, right? They didn't buy the Broncos so they could be, we're okay. Like, Hey, we're kind of good. Like they bought this team to win championships. And that pressure is now there. The pressure on Nathaniel Hackett, as soon as that Russell Wilson contract was signed, as soon as that extension was done, the pressure on Nathaniel Hackett doubled, maybe tripled, because now you look at this team and, hey, they've got the quarterback. They do have assets. They do have pieces. Maybe their depth is a concern. That's on George Payton, who, by the way, pressure on George Payton went up when Russell Wilson signed that deal. You've got Wilson here. Great. Now what else can you do, right? You can't be Daffy Duck with that one magic trick, and that's all really you got. No, you've got Wilson here. What else can you do? What else can you put around him? And now the pressure is on the coaching staff because this Walton Penner group, and this is where the dynasty talk comes in, and it's realistic talk. It's not any sort of hot take or any sort of clickbait or any sort of that crap. What it is is realism because when you watch and observe successful business people, as I watch you guys, and I I watch all of our athletes at the fan, and like I, I see the Walton Penner group, and I go, you know what? This isn't just for fun. This isn't just to say, hey, we own an NFL team. This is to dominate. And to me, Dynasty win a couple Super Bowls in this Russell Wilson era. And I don't think that's too, you know, I'm not a Broncos fan. I, I, I like to emphasize that because, oh, you're a homer. Like, I'm not even a fan of this team. I just respect, uh, you know, the new ownership group and certainly respect what Mr. Bowling built with this team. And I understand the nature of this business and the way they're going to run business. 
the way they're going to run business is get it done or we'll find someone who does because every single person the Walton Penner Group has in place as part of its ownership group has done that, has been that highest level of success. And that's where the Broncos, I think, should be. And with Russell Wilson signed, sealed, and delivered for the next seven years, two Super Bowls in the next seven years, I, I call that a dynasty. Two and seven is a dynasty? Yeah, I think so. I mean, and the Patriots are, the Patriots blow this whole conversation out of the water. We can't compare it to, you're never going to win a million rings like Belichick and Brady, okay? That's just different. But if I look over the, you know, 49ers of the 80s, I look over the Cowboys of the 90s, I look over, you know, obviously the Patriots, but the Steelers of the 70s, I know that was four and six years. So, you know. And the, the other ones you mentioned, dynasty, the Niners are three. The, yeah, the Cowboys the were three. three. The Cowboys were three. Yeah, and I think in the in that era that was fine. In this era, it's different. Yeah, like the Steelers with Big Ben, they had a dynasty. They had Super Bowl forty. They stole it from the Seahawks, whatever. And then they had forty three. So there was two with Ben. That was kind of a mini dynasty. Dmac asked me about the Giants. I'm like, well, the Giants are the only team that beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. So thank God the Giants got two. Or else Brady'd have two more. So yeah, that I, I think in you think the Giants were a dynasty. Era, we have to redefine what that is. The, the, yeah. the Giants were the only team that kept Eli Manning. Thank you. I love Peyton. I don't know Eli, but I thank you, Eli, for keeping the Patriots from winning two more Super Bowls. So in the modern era, we have to redefine things. I, I think this kind of like you know when we talk about basketball, the greatest of all time. Like, well, let's talk about the era. I think in today's era, winning a couple within a five to seven to maybe even 10 year stretch that can be considered a dynasty because everything changes so much in this league. What's called not for long for a reason. Cecil, uh, the three players involved in the Russell Wilson trade, they went to Seattle, Drew Locke, Noah Fant and Shelby Harris. Drew Locke's fate. We know they're going to go with, with Geno Smith as a starter, but Shelby Harris and Noah Fant, uh, they've got a little bit of a revenge uh, mindset. I think going into this game on Monday, Shelby Harris will get an opportunity to go against the Broncos offensive line, particularly that right side of the line that was not solidified throughout yes. the preseason. Uh, Noah Fent will get a chance to go against the inside linebackers for the Broncos who haven't been known for their pass coverage, nor were they really, uh, with the injury to Jonas Griffith, healthy during the preseason. Right. How do you think those two guys fare on their revenge game against the Broncos? Well, I'm Stokely and Zach probably have this number already, but what's the over-under on Shelby Harris batting down a pass, right? Like, That'd be pretty high. Uh, yeah, one and a half, I'll take the over. I'll take the over. Like, Shelby Harris is going to bat down a pass. Shelby Harris is going to be a pain in your ass. That's what he is, right? And that's what makes him so good as a player. He just doesn't go away. Now, he doesn't get sacks necessarily, but he's definitely there to bat down passes. And, you know, that'll be a concern for Russell Wilson. I think you can move the pocket, do like Drew Brees did. And I don't think it's been a glaring part of his game when he was with Seattle and, you know, counting down batted passes at the line of scrimmage. But it's what happens when your quarterback's 5'10". So Shelby Harris, I think, can be incredibly disruptive. The part with Fant is that it's, um, you know, dependent position. Will Geno be able to find him? Uh, my hot take is not the dynasty thing. My hot take is we're going to see Drew Locke this week because the Broncos defense is probably going to swarm all over Geno Smith to whether he gets benched. Or, you know, maybe he has to take a player two off. You never want to root for injury. I'm not obviously rooting for injury, but I'm just looking at the nature of this Broncos swarming defense. Like, that's going to be a problem for Geno. So, hell, we might see Drew Locke, and that'll be a problem for Seattle. But either way, 
I think Shelby is that player. Noah could be because of the problems with these inside linebackers and coverage specifically, but I don't know if Gino's going to have time to find him or be willing to find him. I don't know yet that connection. And, you know, Noah's a really good guy. I think Noah's a really nice guy. I don't know how much revenge motivates him. Shelby is a really good guy, a really nice guy. Shelby is 1,000% motivated by revenge, specifically in this game. So, yeah, I think Shelby Harris will be the most difficult former Bronco to deal with on Monday night. Yesterday on the drive, D-Mac had to all but tie his tongue down to prevent him from saying that Monday night is a must-win for these Broncos. You just talked about how the pressure on Nathaniel Hackett has doubled, has tripled. Is Monday night, and considering, you know, the, the difficulty of the back end, of this schedule is Monday night a must win. I'd say the optics have to be right with this game. Like it could be ugly. I, I think in the NFL, just overall, we're going to have times where, you know, the, cause nobody plays in the preseason or half the team league does or whatever, but like your first month of the season is probably going to be a little rough for football purposes, like not as sharp as it could be. So there's a possibility the Broncos win Monday night, 20 to 14. 20 to 17, 21 to 20, whatever, where it's like, oh, God, I mean, they won, but they kind of barely won. It doesn't matter as long as they get the W. So to say must win in week one I think is ridiculous. Um, I won't say that. I won't say it's a must win. But, man, the optics aren't going to look great when Russ goes back home. And it was a problem for Peyton Manning to go back to Indianapolis. It, It seemed like it made him uncomfortable to play in Indianapolis against the Colts. Uh, and did not have success, you know, when he was with the Denver Broncos. I don't know if that same level of uncomfortableness, is that even a word, uh, discomfort, <laughs> will be there for Russell Wilson like it was with Peyton. I don't know if the relationship with Seattle fans was like the relationship was with Colts fans, with Peyton. Um, that's not to say anything about Russ or, or Seattle in general, um, but I look at it and I go, you know what, they got to win. I'm not going to call it must win. I think that's a little too... Hot takey for my book. The guy who says dynasty and they haven't played a game. Good stuff, Cease. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> All right. Be good, fellas. Cease Salami, presented by Golden Oak Lending. All right. It's King Supers Finn football pick em time. Get registered for your chance to win free groceries for a year. That's a lot of free groceries. But you got to do it before tomorrow's kickoff. Sign up at denverfan.com slash picks and go head-to-head all season long with a fan host. All right, this dynasty conversation, pretty interesting. We're going to keep that going. We're going to do it next. It's Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Day 190, and we've missed a few days here and there, haven't we, Chad? Uh, a few. Yes, but uh, we're dealing with day 190 of the Billy Ocean campaign. Famous number 90 football players. Julius Peppers. Yep. T.J. Watt. One of the best to do it. Neil Smith. One of the best Broncos to ever do it. Rob Burnett. Ah, uh-huh. Larry Brooks. Okay, I was, Larry Brooks was a defensive line coach for the Seahawks when I was there. Darnell Dockett. Ah, Arizona Cardinal. Jason Pierre-Paul. Okay. Baby, you're a firework. Jeff Z- Zagona. Scania is actually 
looks like Zagona, but Skinia. I played with Jeff in uh, Pittsburgh. Played 17 years. Interior defensive line guy. Now as a coach with the Washington Commanders. Marco Coleman. There we go. Uh, from um, your movie. Ace Ventura. There we go. Ha <laughs> I didn't know if you knew that. Yes, I did. Marco Coleman has a, has a small cameo in Ace Ventura. And if you know the scene, if you can describe it, text it in. Marco Coleman was playing for the Miami Dolphins at the time. Mm-hmm. And he has a scene with uh, Jim Carrey in Ace Ventura. Which is the greatest football movie of all time. <laughs> I respectfully Do you disagree. know the Dolphin? <laughs> Does he call you at home? Do you have a dorsal fin? Okay. Yeah. So before the break, we were talking about dynasties. Mm-hmm. And whether these Broncos have an opportunity to do so. One more guy. Travis Kersky. Played at UCLA. Played with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Is coached at Valor High School. Lives up in uh, Lone Tree. Is that right? Yes. A lot of 90s. Yeah. Because there's more. I mean, there's I, I got a list. Tony Brackens and Demarcus Lawrence and Justin Smith, Jadavian Clowney. Yeah. So Mario funny. Williams. Alonzo Spellman. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Chad Eaton. Yeah, I played with Chad in Seattle. B.J. Raji. Mm-hmm. Bonnie Holiday. A lot of defensive. Uh, interior Kennard defensive Lang. Lining. Yes. Yeah. Um, popular number for defensive linemen. Okay, so the dynasty talk. Yes. Um. Now, obviously, nobody, none of the guys on this team are talking about becoming a dynasty. They're just trying to win one game, mm-hmm. right? But, but It is Super Bowl or bust, according to Tim Patrick, but go ahead. Well, isn't it for everyone? It should be. Because I was listening to the drive yesterday, right? And mm-hmm. these guys were talking about the schedule. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about how the team is looking at this schedule, okay? And they're circling certain games as wins. And certain games... One would assume, based on the comment, they are not circling as wins. Was, if you're wait, not wait, wait, circling, was this Tyler? It was Tyler. What he said? Oh yeah, they're circling. You know some of these wins. Wouldn't you circle every single game? If Whoa! You're, if you're a coach. Whoa, Tyler. Whoa. Wow. I did not hear that, and I am. Uh, that just bothers me in, in my football heart that you can, as a player, you can look at the schedule. And go, oh, well, yeah, we, we, might, lo- we might lose that one. Yeah, we're- we might lose. Th- Come on. Now, I've looked at the schedule and been like, oh, okay. So uh, we're playing in California. So I probably got to let my mom know so we can buy some, I can get some some ticket orders. But if we're going to lose that game, I'm not going to bring my mom out. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't. I've, I've looked at the schedule for where the location is. And I've, if I've got family, if somebody's going to hit me up for tickets. But I've never, 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 never looked at the schedule and thought, that's oh, going to be a tough one. We might lose that one. Never, not one single time. So you, you're you saying you got to take it one day at a time, but all, you always got to believe that you're going to win every single game, right? Every time you step on the field, you have to expect to win. I just did the Baylor-Albany game. I talked to the Albany coaches. They had to sell to their players that they were going to find a way to win. That's the only way you can play football. So you're telling me these coaches aren't saying right now, oh, my gosh, Houston, they suck. Circle that. We're going to win that game. Um, Jacksonville, they're not very good. Let's circle that. We're going to win that game. Well, once you start circling certain games, that means you don't circle every game. And if the games you don't circle, those are the games that maybe you think are going to be tough or you're not going to win. That's a weird mindset to have. Every single, every team on the schedule, win. No matter who we play, win. If somehow they're able to create recreate a, a video game and bring the 85 Bears back, we're going to win. It's just how it works. We play football, we win. And so isn't everybody thinking Super Bowl or bust then in that regard? They should be. Yeah. Yes. 
But you're saying not everyone has a chance. They do not. Do the Broncos have a chance to win the Super Bowl this year, Chad? They do have a chance. Yes, they do have a chance. A legitimate shot? I don't believe so. There are far too many question marks to be answered. Will they be better? Of course they will be. Does Russell Wilson present an upgrade over the quarterback competition of Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke? Of course he does. Um, Should this defense with the health of Bradley Chubb be better and the inclusion of Randy Gregory? Yes. So there's, you know, there's definitely signs and places for improvement that that I think can be clear and would give you optimism and hope. But to think of them this year as a legitimate Super Bowl contender with the Chiefs, with the Bills, those kind of teams, no, I think that's a little bit too far ahead of where the Broncos are currently. Well, I think I think the point is here, when we talk about the back end of the schedule being so hard, right? And so, therefore, you have to angle yourself or, the, or your trajectory uh, in the manner that you – Expect to lose a couple of those games. That's not how these guys are thinking. They're going to win every single game. They're not trying to stack wins at the beginning because the back end is going to be so hard that we're just going to expect to lose some of those games. We're going to expect to lose to the Rams. We're going to expect to lose to the Chiefs. We're going to expect to lose to the Chargers because they're just really good and we don't know how good we are, so we have to win these front-end games. Every single game on this schedule should be circled as a win for the Broncos. If not... You're doing it wrong. Okay, I posed this question. What scene was Marco Coleman in in Ace Ventura? And we got a lot of people texting in. Um, somebody says the bathroom scene in Ace Ventura. Nope. Uh, but most of you guys got it right. It's the scene on the track where Marco Coleman is running on the track and Ace Ventura comes up behind him and chloroforms him and takes him down. There we go. And inspects his ring <laughs> to see if he's got all the diamonds in it. Because mm-hmm. he's looking for... The player with the ring that's missing a diamond because he found a diamond in Snowflake's tank. All right? And do you know who it ends up being, Chad? Dan Marino. Ray Finkel. We (laughs) talked about this before. Someone said Ray Finkel was the kicker on the 1972 Dolphins team. You're like, oh, really? I didn't know that. No. Ray Finkel was a character in Ace Ventura. All right, before we get out of here, it's been a fun show, Chad, but I want to say congratulations to Emmanuel Sanders. He just announced his retirement. And he's going to retire as a Denver Bronco. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders played six years here as a Denver Bronco. And during that time, he had 404 receptions, 5,361 yards, 28 touchdowns. But more important, he was just integral in those Super Bowl runs and a beloved Bronco. He's going to be missed. Um, we'll see if he gets into radio. Uh, I think he's going to be TV in this future. He's definitely yeah. done NFL Network in the last couple of years. Um, I, you know, I think as a player to make that smooth transition, uh, from playing field while you still have your notoriety as a player into the broadcast arena is definitely the easier way to go. Don't do it like I did and go disappear for seven years and try to come back and say, hey, but didn't that remember give, me? But didn't that give you the perspective, Chad, that you now use? And isn't perspective really important for this? Like if you just go straight from sports into the media, do you know anything about the world? Do you know anything about life? Aren't you just a child? I think that's a, a better way to add perspective to your broadcasting, but it certainly sets you back and you have to climb from the very bottom of the broadcasting ladder as opposed to Emmanuel Sanders who gets to walk directly into the NFL network. Yep, yeah, and he's a handsome guy. He's got a face for television. Yeah, he, he does a great job. You know who else does a great job, Chad? Stokely and Zach. Those They're guys, next. They're next, yes.
Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.